My name is Miranda Dixon and welcome to Fly Over the Grass. This is a podcast about inspiring people who've built fascinating and powerful careers fighting injustice and inequality in the UK. I'm delighted to welcome to the show David Smith and Sarah Holiday. Uh, so David is a campaigner and air pollution activist. Two years ago, he bought an AQ mesh air monitor and measured the nitrogen dioxide levels in his local area in South London as he was worried about the air his children were breathing every day on their way to and from school. He found the levels of harmful air were frequently exceeding the legal limit and putting children and citizens' lives at risk. He quit his job uh, in marketing to tackle this issue and has since been an unstoppable force for change. Not only has he continued to measure air pollution levels in his area in order to put pressure on his local authority, he has also started a number of successful petitions to tackle the main contributors to children air pollution exposure, as well as creating a number of resources and campaigns to raise awareness too. Sarah has a PhD in chemistry and has spent her academic career in the UK and USA developing next generation solar energy technologies. She's always been interested in the potential social impact of her scientific research, focusing her attention on tackling educational inequality on both the local and international level, as well as exploring opportunities to use low-cost solar technologies to improve energy access in the global south. In the last year, Sarah has been developing programmes and campaigns that enable citizens to learn and take part in scientific research about environmental issues so that local communities are better equipped to tackle them. Welcome to you both, and uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I've touched on um, two fascinating and varied careers there, and I'm really interested about the number of similarities uh, around your commitment to tackling environmental issues on a local, but also thinking about the systemic level as well. It would be great to explore with you both why have you made some of the decisions you've made within them um, and both the glamorous and unglamorous parts of uh, you know, being on this mission. So I'll start off with you David. How did it feel to quit a full-time job to tackle air pollution in your neighbourhood? That must have been a pretty daunting moment. Um, it's quite strange in terms of daunting. Um, it, it didn't feel like a choice at the time. Um, if I can I take you back a couple of years, I was um, my younger son Eli. Um, he was uh, two years old, already cycling. We bought him a pedal bike for his second birthday. Um, took him down our local park, um, Wandsworth, and he'd already mastered a BMX course by the time he was two years and probably around three months. So he said, "Okay, bigger skate park." So we went to Stockwell. I don't know if you know Stockwell. Or Stockwell, the Brixton Bowl is huge. You know, I'm indulging my little boy. Um, in order to get there before the big kids get there at ten o'clock, we'd leave our place at nine o'clock. We'd make our way down West Hill onto the South Circular Road, get the 37 bus to Lambeth, and then walk along the Brixton Road to get to the skate park. And I'm videoing him, created a little YouTube toddler biker, and he's up there showing off. Um, and so this morning in particular, I'm videoing him at the bus stop. And while I'm there, I kind of notice looking at the other screen on my phone that there's a, a, a vehicle idling next to him. And of course, it, you kind of then start noticing it and you can hear the gong, 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 gong as the engine's going. 26 wheels. The wheels are bigger than he is. Um, the exhaust is level with his head. And he's just a couple of feet away from this exhaust. And that's the moment for me. It was like, there's something wrong here. That, that can't be good for a two and a half year old. So that's when I decided to really look into it. So searched online. Um, this is going back two years now. I've been doing the same thing. And once you go online, it's really hard to unsee what you see. 
Um, straight away, the Royal College of Physicians are telling us that air pollution stunts lungs, that, you know, from a child, a baby, there are, there are issues. Um, as we're looking more and more now, we realise it's actually before you're even born that, you know, they're finding particulate matter in um, the mother's placenta. Um, babies, high risk of, you know, um, chronic um, health, um, pneumonia, um, bronchiolitis, um, children getting asthma um, much more frequently. So, you know, suddenly it's this one where actually this is pretty serious. Um, how bad is it for my child? So I said to the ones of council, um, how bad is it at, you know, where we live? They said, we don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? They said, well, we don't actually measure where you live. We measure on Putney High Street and Wandsworth Town Hall, and we kind of guess what it's like in between. It's a modelling exercise. So I said, okay, well, I'd really like to know what it is like at the bus stop. Um, how do we do that? They said, well, you'd need a special monitor, and you'd have to do it yourself. So I said, okay. So I contacted universities, and, um, you know, they explained that the best one would be a, you know, the most mature in the market was an AQ mesh, three, you know, monitor. So I... Um, Look to see the price of that, about £6,250. So set up a website, littleninja.co.uk, and started fundraising. Um, it took about four months to get to about £300, and I kind of realised by the time we'd actually raised the £6,000, we just weren't going to be it, you know. So I took the plunge, spent the money, bought the monitor, um, measured outside my home, measured outside our local nursery, our local school, and at the bus stop, and the figures that came back were shocking. Um, the annual legal limit is 40 micrograms per cubic meter um, at 40.7 is equivalent to a five percent lung capacity reduction for children um, at our bus stop it's 70 80 90 at times 100 um, on average it's 80 so that's twice the legal limit um, you know we're looking at 10 percent more reduced lung capacity for our children um, the more you read, you realise that it's hundreds of thousands of children in London alone this, this this impacts on, you know, perhaps millions across the UK. If you live on a busy road and you attend a school on a busy road and you unavoidably travel along a busy road, then um, you your children will have reduced lung capacity by the time they're eight to nine years old. You know, it, it's the kind of terrifying stuff as a, as a parent when you realise that actually the, the choices you've made, the decisions I made, just having him at the bus stop, the decision I made... You know, it, it wasn't a hard decision. It was simply no one's doing anything about this. You know, I've got the skills and the capability and the time for at least a couple of years to really focus on this. So um, let me do that. What, what was your ambition at that stage? Well, the ambition was simply, right, all I've got to do is share this and people will go, wow, and it will change things. So, you know, I started looking and thinking, OK, well, how do I share this? Um, spoke to our local newspaper and they ran the story not really much of an impact, um, got in touch with the Easing Standard, they got in touch with me, ran another story. Again, some impact, but no real change. I managed to get a, a meeting with TfL, so I met with TfL director, um, Alex Williams, and showed him all the stats, showed him the information. And again, he was, you know, showed a, a, a general amount of interest, but again, no change. You know, I explained just simply if we stopped vehicles idling right next to the bus stop and just had a keep clear sign, for instance, in front of the bus shelters, just the curbside bus shelters and the busiest roads, that would significantly reduce air pollution exposure. But even that, then it, it, it just means it's something that TFL would have to do, which they're not currently doing. And that just doesn't happen. You know, TFL have actually said that the problem they face is that if they did do this at the bus stop, drivers wouldn't necessarily know or understand why they can't idle next to children at a bus shelter. And my point is, well, even if they don't know, 
the sciences keep clear, they'll keep clear. Mm-hmm. So if they don't know what they do know, I really don't mind. They just won't be idling in front of children at a bus shelter. Mm-hmm. But their one was, well, no, we'd have to do a marketing campaign. That would cost money. We'd have to maybe have additional signage. That would cost money. And so lots of, you know, lots of blockage and, and so on and so forth. So just a, a real reality check for myself which was that you could have a great idea you could have a huge amount of public support you could even have the mayor for london saying yes we're going to do this but actually bottom line is you know these things still won't necessarily happen yeah and how how does that make you feel now at this stage well it kind of toughens me up you know makes me realize this isn't going to be as straightforward and as easy as i would have thought you also had some amazing successes over the last couple of years as well Mm. Um, it'd be great to hear about some of those what have been some of the the biggest wins from your perspective um i, I think you personally and the cause i guess for me personally i think um it's loving what i do more than ever mm. um i've had huge amounts of, of fun in my life and enjoyment from the jobs that i've done um i worked in the kind of customer service area for many years for the transport for london firstly as a, on the underground working as a station assistant booking clerk travel information um customer relations all the way through to um head of operational training um, and enjoyed all of these roles. Um, came out of that, went into advertising um, after I did my um, MBA and loved it, marketing, advertising, trying to do the right thing and give people what they need at the time that they need it. So that, that's been really rewarding um, and financially rewarding as well. But none of that compares to what I'm doing now, just in terms of understanding that if I'm successful in what I do, it means children will breathe easier. We're going to move now on to Sarah because I'd also love to hear for you a bit about your journey so far um, because I know it's it's in terms of kind of career-wise it started um, in a lab doing kind of more scientific side of things um, and recently you've moved into more kind of local community action. How has that journey been and how are you feeling about it now? Yeah, I guess I came at it uh, quite a, from a, quite a different angle from David mm. Um Growing up on a very small island in Scotland, um, very windy, so the air, air pollution definitely wasn't an issue. But we had we had our own environmental issues to to contend with. Mm. Um, I set up like a Tyree environmental action recycling group when I was a very eager fifteen year old, um, and then decided to try and go at things from the scientific perspective. So studied chemistry and develop new renewable energy materials. And that's definitely a very, a very important way to, to be tackling environmental issues, but getting a bit bored of sitting in my lab, pressing buttons all day long, not speaking to people. And yeah, was just a bit more interested in the, the human element of that and what that meant and not wanting to be part of the, the to be in an ivory tower, just um, measuring things when there's people out there who could also be doing great research themselves that's kind of what brought into the the citizen science part of it but um also just wanting to get a better grasp of of the human aspect of the of the issues that i was tackling environmental issues the way i see it are 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 not just environmental issues i think one of the problems we've had um, in society is, is seeing them as quite separate and i think it's only quite recently that we've started to see especially with climate change seeing seeing the effects of that all over the world on on people and um, obviously that means that the way that we tackle them is not is also not through a very siloed scientific or technological approach but it has to be a systemic um, economic and society level change that we need 
Um, and I think air pollution is a really good example of that, of where it has very direct um, effects on people's health and people's well-being. Um, and so the way of tackling that is not only through technological means. We can't tackle climate change only through renewable energy. Um, although that's really important, we also need to, to look at the, the societal and other, other factors, um, both the effects and the solutions. Mm, and I'd be interested to know from your, I'm going to call it a pre- previous life in yeah. the lab, what would you say were the most important things that you learnt in that environment that have helped you um, with what you're doing now? I guess taking like an evidence-based approach is quite useful. It's, I mean, mm. we we don't know, we don't understand the world perfectly as humans, but like we've built up quite a good toolkit of of ways of looking at it, and science has done quite well at that, and that's the reason why we've got as far as we have in some ways. Also done damage sometimes more damage than good but I think yeah taking a, like an evidence-based rational approach to things um, is quite helpful. And I, I think I always wanted to make like as much as big an impact as I could I guess and I thought that if I made this revolutionary new solar energy materials then that would be the way of achieving that because that would drive down the cost of solar energy and then we'll you know everyone will use that and to some extent that was successful we made some really great materials um mm you know they're now there are now companies that are making those and and that's good but it's not it's not tackling the wider sort of human issues at the end of the day Mm. so how does that look for you now tell us a bit about your day-to-day now when you're on the ground and in the local community well we did a great project um at at the community center where i was working Bromley bible center i realized i guess that that as a as a as a community centre, it focuses a lot on like having a hol- holistic approach to well being, but um, the environment was was not really being included into that. And Tower Hamlets, where where the centre is, it's next to these two motorways, um, one of the most polluted areas in in the borough, and yet it has like the lowest rate of car ownership, among the lowest rates of car ownership in the borough. So, to me, that was like a real environmental justice issue. Um, and so myself and Charlotte, who was working with um, at the centre, we both decided, we tried to, um, we approached them to put together a kind of environmental environmental justice, a sustainability approach for the centre. And that was what we worked on for the last few months, um, which has gone really well. We, um, I got funding from the Mayor of London to get solar, to do some feasibility studies for solar energy installations. So we're going to have a community solar project there we're getting more funding for um, and we've started off uh, an air pollution awareness so it gets similar to, to what David's been doing we're trying to reduce people's exposure uh, rather than trying to blame people for, for driving cars um, and then we, we, we Charlotte got some money to plant some trees we did an, a cycling um, project with, with the staff so trying to really empower people with the, the knowledge and, and tools to, to understand environmental issues and the effect that they the part that they play in them and the effect that it has on them um to to for them for that to be part of their their health and well-being what was your feeling on the amount of knowledge that the local residents and people at the center had before you ran this yeah um 
I think people don't know. I think that's the problem. Like, you can't blame people for for walking down a busy main road when nobody's told them that that's bad for them. You can't see pollution. You can't smell it. I mean, you can you can hear the cars, but you, you don't know the effect that has on you. You don't know that if you are in a car, then your exposure is higher than if you're on a bike. People don't have the facts, mm. and so that's kind of what motivated this citizen science approach is that if you empower people with the tools and the knowledge to take those measurements themselves and to understand to gather the data then um hopefully that will inspire action based on that i would love to ask you both a bit about your hopes and fears for the future um i know for you david you have a a, a very real situation of I'm not getting paid for this work that I'm doing. What happens next? How do I balance my family and, you know, earning a living whilst also campaigning for this thing I care a lot about? Um, and then, Sarah, I know that you're kind of shaping your next steps. For me, you know, I see children standing on curbs, chatting away, oblivious. I see parents just, again, standing at a bus stop, right next to idling vehicles or pushing their child next to the curb rather than next to the, the building. And that's purely down to them not having the information. Because as soon as I got this information, I changed my children. They may still have stunted lung growth because we live in that area, but they don't spend time on busy roads. They don't spend time next to the curb. They don't spend time next to idling vehicles. We're choosing, selecting the school as best as we can to make sure they're not in the playground next to a busy road and so on and so forth. So we're, we're actively doing what we can and every parent should do that, but every parent can't do that unless they get the information. And every year, every day, every week that they're not having this information means their children are breathing more and more of this toxic air. Um, so that really frustrates me, but at the same time, um, it kind of motivates me to, to continue. Um, how I balance that, um, you know, I, I've, promised myself that I would keep on doing this and I've got funding you know from I'm very good I saved I saved hard um it was saving for future holidays with the kids and so on and so forth and you know we're, we're not flying you know very rarely now so therefore we've, we've saved money there <laughs> you know we don't own a car you know we never have so you know we're, we're not spending huge amounts of money so uh, you know I can afford to to stay campaigning for you know sustain this for for a, a couple more years um but at some point I will have to find a way to earn a living doing this if I'm going to continue doing this and I, I mentioned previously um, earlier on today that it probably is around you know finding a a product which assists um, you know with a solution to air pollution or reducing air pollution exposure mm -hmm. so I could sell that and use that revenue to continue to do the work and you know to make sure I can get more air monitors and do more monitoring you know um, have a louder voice in terms of getting information out there to the public and, and so on and so forth so I, I'll, I'll try and find a way to to do that I'm sure that something will, will 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 come through for me I've got good faith that if we if you do the right thing um, that the rewards come your way in, in in some way not just in terms of personal rewards that I feel good about what I do but actually that that someone or some way in life will will enable something that will, will help me to, to continue um, doing what I feel is the right thing to do. Brilliant. Yeah. And how can we keep following what you're up to? Um, I'm Little Ninja UK on Twitter, um, Little Ninja UK on YouTube and Facebook. Um, my website is littleninja.co.uk um, and anyone who's got a question or 
just yeah a suggestion then um it's david at little ninja.co.uk for email why did you choose the name little ninja thank you for asking um it <laughs> came from ask. that 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 time right at the beginning with my son at the bus stop um you know and i tried to find a way to communicate to him what was going on so um the two main pollutants nitrogen dioxide no2 and particulate matter pm 2.5 um, i got an artist to create pollutant monsters I'll show you a picture of them. They're actually quite scary. And these pollutant monsters are trying to get into your lungs and to get everywhere in your body. And so you have to fight against them like a ninja. You've got to be quite good because they're invisible and they're odorless. So you've got to be like a ninja and you've got to make sure they don't get into you. So it is that fight that, you know, our children are fighting every day for their life because it is their life. It may be that this is the first time that a generation of children will not live as long as their parents. Sarah, over to you. We're continuing this project at the Bromley Bible Centre um, and they're really excited to be working on this issue and the wider environmental justice, environmental inclusion um, topic. And they're like a real leading light in, in the health sector and the charity sector in London and in the UK. So I think that's really going to build momentum around that from on the kind of bottom up approach, I guess, empowering local residents to with the tools and information to to make better decisions and choices or um, campaign on air pollution. But I'm also interested in the kind of the how you tackle the, the those systemic issues from other angles. And so I guess in a similar way, empowering um working on a project at the moment that's empowering policymakers and frontline workers to um collaborate. So that at the moment we have lots of policy makers with good intentions sitting in their offices um, writing policies and we have lots of frontline workers working with service users um, and they have lots of great ideas and, and insights that could be informing that policy but there are very limited opportunities for them to work together so it's kind of about empowering both of those sectors opportunities to to learn from each other share their insights and and build better policies for the future that's the idea brilliant and my final question for you Sarah is what what motivates you the most to do what you do? That's a really good question. I guess like like all of us probably we're motivated by the injustice that we see around us. Mm. Um, I see that as like an injustice towards future generations just as much as my current fellow citizens of the country and the world. So our great-grandchildren deserve to have the same future that that I deserve to have. So... Um, that's what motivates me. Fantastic, thank you. And how can we keep in touch with your work? I'm on Twitter. Yeah, um, give us a Twitter handle. Uh, at SMG Holiday. Well, we'll have to watch that space. Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, thank you. I'd also like to thank Year Here, who have partnered with me today to deliver this podcast. Um, Year Here is a fantastic course and community that supports young individuals to test and build solutions to society's toughest problems. Check them out at yearhere.org. And finally, thank you for listening to the show today. Don't forget, if you did enjoy it, please subscribe to Fly Over the Grass wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.